Welcome to this episode of the Customer Centric Retailing Podcast. This is Anil Patel, founder and CEO of Hotwax Commerce. In this podcast, we discuss e-commerce, omnichannel technology, pre-order management, brick and mortar operations, retail culture, innovation, and how all these elements come together to create customer centric retailing. Join us to hear the brightest minds in the retail industry share their experiences and thoughts on the most relevant topics today. In today's episode, we have with us uh, Fred Schofield. He has a really rich career in retail. Uh, I met him on LinkedIn, like many of us start a lot of our you know, experiences online. I met him online on LinkedIn and we've had a lot of good interactions. It definitely made perfect sense for me to uh, invite him for an episode so we could have a detailed conversation. Because of a lot of his interest and the uh, inputs he has provided on store experiences and all that, uh, most of my uh, questions or ideas that I want to discuss with Fred today will be around store operations, buy online pickup in store, and uh, store incentivization, things like that. So, well, welcome, Fred. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you, Anil. Thank you very much for having me. Cool. Uh, you know, to get us started, please tell us about your journey in retail. Uh, I've been in retail. I'm a, I would consider myself a career retailer. I've been in retail since I was in high school. Uh, so uh, for the last 40 years, uh, mostly in Toronto, Canada, uh, both as a flagship uh, store manager, as well as a district manager for various uh, boutique retailers across the uh, across the province. Cool. Awesome. You know, uh, you've been uh, into such so much of brick and mortar retailing. Uh, I think it would be perfect for me to uh, start with this conversation about omni-channel. So, uh, within your experience and your point of view, uh, how would you uh, describe a perfect omni-channel experience, especially where the uh, customers are interested in coming in store and buying and uh, buying experiences? Well, I've, I've had, uh, again, some experience both recently uh, with the COVID lockdowns, especially the first and second lockdown. Uh, but I can certainly take this back even, even to almost 20 years ago when e-com first arrived on the scene. Uh, and we were picking orders from a store uh, rather than from a warehouse in order to fulfill that new demand. Um, and what became increasingly evident to me, uh, and still is even to this day, is just how close... Uh, and how regular these customers are to the customers we already have in our store. So they're connected by some way or form. It could be the spouse, it could be the brother or sister, uh, it could be a friend, it certainly could be them as well. Uh, but these are not people who live in isolated areas who are ordering online and coming into the store maybe a week or two from now to pick it up. Uh, these are our customers that we already see in our stores, I think. Uh, certainly, that's what I've I've discovered, and uh, and for whatever reason today, uh, they either don't have the time or maybe they don't feel as comfortable uh, picking up the product today uh, and walking around the store and perhaps shopping. They just want to get in and out. So um, again, these aren't these aren't foreign customers by any means. These are our regular customers. So I think the experience needs to be very very seamless. It needs to feel almost with the same. Um, uh, intensity and care uh, and to make that whole process work fine. Awesome. Yeah, this is fantastic. 
in our conversations with uh, you know in the LinkedIn or in my client interviews, something that comes up is like uh, what you explained. Everybody wants to do it, but they are having challenges. Particularly, yes. you know, there is a lot of uh, friction uh, their retailers are experiencing uh, from their e-commerce division and the brick and mortar division. They generally, you know, they don't get together uh, so well. Um, and there's this always a question that even uh, the online re- uh, sales, should they be credited to the store or not? So really the question is the way you explained omni-channel, um, my real imp- uh, at this point, the, one of the important questions that comes up is how are we going to um, attribute sale, uh, local stores for the online sales? Should we even do it? How are we going to measure the KPIs of these stores? Uh, because a lot of sales that, you know, otherwise the customer would have come in the store, now they are happening online. Um, and like you said, these customers are not foreign customers. They act, these customers have been shopping in the store or they have experienced the product in the store, but they just placed the order online so they can get it delivered at their home. Um, so I'm like, you know, um, to reduce the friction between this brick and mortar and online departments or divisions of the company, what do you think? How should we uh, be thinking about the store KPIs and attribution of sale, online sales to these stores? Uh, in the short version, I think um, we really need to align it. It needs to be the, it needs to be the, considered the same type of sale as if the customer was directly in the store purchasing. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, Neil, when we're talking about this, um, I think back to a retailer who, uh, who at one point, when, and again, this is when kiosks first arrived in stores, and you'll remember maybe five or eight years ago, there was quite a trend uh, to put an online kiosk in several stores. And it wasn't so much a BOPUS thing or, or a pickup in store. It was just a chance for the customer to get more accustomed to the corporate website or the company's website. Uh, and perhaps order products that the store didn't necessarily carry, uh, but order it online, almost like a special order venue. Uh, but in this case, it was ordering online and perhaps having delivered to their home. Um, that led to some serious complications. And I know of a couple of retailers in particular uh, where the store teams uh, didn't necessarily embrace the whole concept because they were dealing with the returns. Uh, so they were dealing with the bulk of returns and not just the returns of product that they could put back on the shelf, but returns of product that their volume of store, because perhaps it was a lower volume store, uh, didn't carry in the first place. So uh, now they have a product that has come back as a refund that was purchased online. Uh, they can't position it well in their store because it's not necessarily part of their store's planogram. So they have to find a way to deal with it. And then dealing with it then is probably contacting a merchant or buyer at a head office and figuring out how you're going to ship it back to the corporate warehouse. So there's so many complications that turns off the team in the beginning uh, when, you know, it's a slightly different world now. It certainly doesn't seem like there's store teams who don't embrace uh, embrace online. I think they most, for the most part, do. Uh, but certainly uh, it has to be smooth from the beginning and iron out the problems uh, quickly uh, because otherwise you create that sort of stigma with teams that, cr- that find this to be more difficult or more of a chore than it would be to just help the customer directly in the store. When in fact it, it, it doesn't have to be. If you think about 
back to 20, 30 years ago when the internet didn't even exist. You'd walk into some retailers uh, looking for specialty items, whether it was a special part for your car or a book that you wanted to order. Uh, and the, you know, the special order desk or the special order staff would help locate that through a vendor, uh, probably using a lot of microfiche uh, types of things and finding this order, placing the order, and you come back and pick it up four weeks or eight weeks later. Uh, this isn't that different. It's just faster. So if you've ordered online and you want to pick it up in store, you know, I think you should embrace that and consider it a good thing uh, because now the customer is able to finish their whole journey or their whole project. Uh, and what they're going to remember is that you found something for them that was important uh, and then they're going to come back to you for simpler things. So uh, it's really important at the beginning to make it seamless for store teams. Uh, have a program in place where you try to answer as many questions as possible. Of course, there's going to be new things that come up and every retailer's size and scope is different. Uh, but one of the first things is helping store teams figure out how to deal with returns. Um, and most of the retailers, I've got to say, that I've, I've worked for, and you know that there was uh, a simple part of the bonus structure for uh, the store team or store manager uh, was just built around the sales. Uh, so if you were shipping from store, the store got the sale for it. If you were doing BOPIS, obviously the store got the sale for it. Uh, the store also took the hit for the return as well, uh, but at least that was similar and in, in the same scope as it would be if a customer came in and bought something on foot and returned it at the same time. So uh, it all made sense and it was simple. Awesome. So uh, you said, you know, the stores would take the hit for the returns, but in this case, what if the order was placed online and item was delivered from the warehouse? And now customer came back uh, to return it, in, return it in the store now. So in these, uh, this type of scenario, would you credit all the online sales within certain geographic region around this brick and mortar store? Should be credited, uh, attribution should be to the uh, store, even if the uh, order was fulfilled from the warehouse. Would you agree I or... I would agree, in the, in, and I've seen that, to be honest. Uh, one of the companies I worked for did that. Um, and it worked to a point uh, where things got more complicated and probably now even additionally complicated, thanks to, uh, thanks to COVID, uh, is we can be shipping uh, across the country. Now, that's not an ideal situation because obviously there's increased shipping costs involved. But if you're trying to fill an order, and let's say it's a 10-piece order, depending on the complexity of that retailer, um, and, you know, two of the pieces have to come from Toronto, where the other eight pieces uh, reside in the West Coast uh, and can be shipped locally. Then uh, and then you're, you're shipping across the country in order to fill a complex order. So I think, to be honest, there's a there's a bit of both. Certainly one of the simpler solutions and one that the team in each store would buy into is to say that all the postal codes in my in my town, uh, yes, I will. I, I hope to get the sales for each one of those, uh, but I would also take the returns for each one of those. So I, I, I think the, the common theme here is that you can't have one without the other. So if you're expecting the store to take the hit for the returns, then you have to give them credit for the sales. Um, or else you delay the buy-in to the whole program. Uh, and, and I think that's ultimately what we have to realize is that BOPIS or ship from store uh, directly to customer if it's coming out of a store to begin with uh, is, is 
currently and in the future going to be just part of a routine that customers will choose to do, not every day and not every visit or not every time they shop, but certainly from time to time. Uh, oftentimes, it's not even a case of the customer uh, not feeling comfortable coming in the store. They just can't for whatever reason. They're busy, uh, they're at work, and they see that there's a, a, a new flyer, there's a new promotion, and they want to secure that item uh, before having to come in the store and stand in a big lineup, so they order it online. Uh, and then they pick it up after work. So uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And when you think about it, it's even simpler for them and even simpler for us to deal with uh, when the customer wants to just pick up a promotional item uh, and order it online and pick it up in store after in store after they, they leave work. But um, if the store doesn't get credit for that, then it becomes a, a, a real burden of a task as opposed to something they can get excited about. Uh, but if you're going to do the sales, then of course you have to allow for the returns as well. It's it's no different than if they were shopping in the store. Yeah, this is important, right? So, like you know, uh, the the store KPIs we definitely need to rethink uh, in mm. with keeping in mind uh, about all the online sales that is happening, and particularly if you have stores, then like you said, postal codes should be assigned to the store uh, wherein all the orders that are shipped. It, in those postal code in that certain geographic region should be attributed to the store and this will you know bring the store people as a part of that whole mission and make it successful to curb the serve the customer um, better because today's the customers are really uh, want to use technology as much possible uh, because it helps it simply helps reduces the friction in the buying and uh, you have more time to actually enjoy the experience. You can go in the store and check out the product or do other things instead of standing in line and caring about all these things. And in fact, you know, these days, I whenever I check my wallet, I have to really look for cash. Most mm -hmm. of the time, don't even have the cash. So really, you know, uh, having those online uh, journeys uh, really smoothed out is very helpful uh, as a consumer. So definitely you know uh, it's important that retailers embrace uh, all these omnichannel journeys for the customer um, and definitely store associates will be on board if they get credit for all the online sales all the pickup orders ship orders and all those yes taking that conversation further you know uh, when i'm talking to retailers many time it comes up that uh, by adding buy online pickup in store option we are uh, there's a risk of overloading the store associates with the extra work. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that uh, leaders in these big retailers are thinking in such a way or this direction because for me, uh, this is a lost opportunity. There are many customers today, if they could place Bopi's order, they will, they will not go in the store without placing the order. They really want to place the order because now this actually ensures the item is available and also that you know it's packed and ready to go so you don't have to waste time in the store uh, but the retailers like uh, leadership teams in the retail uh, companies they are uh, worried that uh, by introducing bopis program they are going to overload the associates so what is your experience around it like how are associates uh, you know taking the bopis program in general and also like how can 
technology or the tools or the training can enable uh, store associates to serve the customers better and per, and also at the same time perform good in their own uh, on their own KPIs. Well, I think first of all, again, it, it does uh, come back to individual businesses and retail businesses and of course their leaders. Uh, one of the places that I, I discovered early on and focused on um, was with the rest of my management team uh, is, is gathering an understanding of who our top 10 customers were. And we, as good merchants, we each have customers who we can, we can recall by name, by first name. And, uh, and then to be actually uh, able to look at our uh, online files and our BOPIS files and see that 30%, so if you can name your top 10 customers by first name, uh, and you see that three out of 10 of them uh, are ordering online to have shipped to their home or ordering online to pick up in store uh, at a fairly regular level, certainly not as frequent as they're in the store, but certainly maybe two, three, four times a month or you know, uh, close to the same speed as they would come to the store on a regular basis, then there's a lot of potential there to, to convince your team that these really are the same customers. And for whatever reason today, they've chosen to go a different route. Uh, and that could be, again, as I mentioned earlier, just to uh, secure a promotion that starts today and they want to make sure they're not coming to the store too late. Or B, they, maybe they just don't feel well and they just want to order it from home. So uh, that's part one. I think part two in helping the uh, team in, in, in embrace this and, and making sure that everyone considers it to be important is figure out when when the program is introduced, figure out when when it's going to be done. And a lot of times frustration about executing something has to do with what's happening in the back end. And uh, certainly from uh, my initial experience, and I will be uh, honest enough to say that we, we did it the wrong way, uh, it's so tempting to fill these orders as you start to see them uh, accumulate in the morning, especially when you come in first thing in the morning and you've got so much to do and you see that overnight, uh, a, a whole bunch of orders were generated, maybe twice as many as you normally see during the day, uh, because people, you know, tend to go, you know, before they go to bed at night, they hop online and they place a bunch of bopus orders they want picked up by noon hour the next day. Uh, and so you come in first thing in the morning and instead of expecting to find five or six orders, you're finding maybe 20. Uh, and again, that will depend on the success of the promotion you're having in store and online. That will depend on seasonality. Uh, probably not happening very much now in January, but certainly in November, December, you would see that a lot. Um, and, and so what's in place to actually make that work? And, and, and recognizing that each store is different, the one thing that I have found that stays the same is when BOPUS is busy, the store is busy. When BOPUS is slow, the store is slow, which, is, which again uh, aligns with the fact that these are the same customers. So I wouldn't expect, other than perhaps during a lockdown, that you would find uh, BOPUS to be any busier in its, its peaks and its graph than you would for the regular store. So uh, it's, it should be fairly common if you see 20 orders in the morning, you're gonna to continue to see that for as long as the store is in its peak season or as long as it's in its promotion that it's having. Uh, and then when all that's over, it may drop back to 10. But uh, you'll learn pretty quick that you need to have a plan in place for dealing with those. And 
depending on where the store is located, if it's a downtown store, let's say near a business uh, business area, or if it's a suburban store in an outer area of the city, that uh, you need to have people scheduled, you need to have staff scheduled uh, to help deal with BOPIS. And it doesn't mean you have to hire people, especially for this. Uh, it just means that you have to have people that are on your schedule designated to do this. So that um, if you're coming in an hour early in the morning, uh, and um, and you know maybe there's only one or two managers in the store at that time and the staff haven't arrived yet, uh, it's well worth getting some other a team member to come into the store one hour with you and start picking these orders before the store opens. Uh, because inevitably what will happen is the next wave, which will probably be two or three hours later, will happen again. Um, and um, in order to stay ahead of the BOPIS orders, uh, that's really important to have it scheduled at least during the times of year uh, that the store is the busiest. And again, it follows exactly the same line as the regular store traffic does. It's not different. Uh, and the second part of that, I really believe, has to do with uh, where and how the, you pick the orders. Um, and again, this was not something that I was good at initially. Uh, when you come in the morning and you see 20 orders and you panic a little bit uh, because you want to get those picked before the store opens, uh, it's very tempting to pick those from the sales floor, pick them from the display, pick them from the you know feature end cap even. Um, and then before you know it, uh, you're doing this and the other staff are doing this and you have a store that continuously looks worse and worse and empty and empty. Uh, and now you've got, you've put the responsibility now on someone else on the team, uh, to replenish this. And, you know, keep in mind that most retail stores work on the premise of store recovery every night. So they make the store look good before they come home. Uh, and if you arrive first thing in the morning and pick away you know, 20, 30 uh, BOPIS orders that, uh, and take them off the best display in the store, uh, then the store is going to open not in a perfect way. <laughs> so uh, one of the biggest learnings I think I've, I've gathered from this is, is developing and teaching and, and building a routine uh, around where to pick the order. So if you have the technology to do this, great. If you don't, uh, at least at least start with the idea that the first place you should look for this product is in the warehouse or in the overstock, in the bin stock, uh, but please try not to pick this from the main display. So in other words, don't pick it from the shelf, don't pick it from the peg, uh, try to pick it first from overstock and try to pick it uh, from the back room if possible. Uh, there's a lot uh, of, of retailers who have some you know, good technology around this, which is not expensive to, to do, uh, which will locate the product. So item, you know, item ABC uh, probably has three locations, uh, its home location, uh, its, its overstock location, and then finally, if there's enough, maybe even in the warehouse. So there's potentially three places where this product could be. So if you're picking the order, you should be able to look on a screen and see exactly where this product is and go to the spot that is least uh, uh, impactful to the store. And uh, oftentimes, you know, we were picking, you know, uh, multiple items from the warehouse. And uh, one case in point is a customer ordered uh, picture frames and she wanted 12 of them. They were, this was a BOPIS order, 12 of them. Uh, we would never have 12 of this frame on display because it would be damaged if we had that many on display. Uh, so, you know, there was probably four on the shelf, uh, four in uh, overstock and let's say four in the warehouse. So we pick the four in the warehouse, we pick the four in overstock and we leave the remaining four on display 
so that if you're walking in the store uh, later on today as another customer, you want to buy it, you're going to be able to find it. Awesome. Now, this are the, these are the really great tips that you're given today. I'm like, I'm really excited about it. And something I, I really want to uh, remember is that when store is busy, purpose is busy. Yes. Uh, and so be better prepared for it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, th- those are really amazing tips. In fact, you know, what you brought up is that uh, to be able to do an efficient job at picking Bopis orders, it's important that the store associates have clear visibility into the inventory locations. The systems in the store uh, have to be capable of keeping track of inventory locations and how much they have. And then also the store associates have to keep the system updated. Uh, Many retailers have started adopting RFID uh, for keeping track of their inventory in the store, but still that technology is not so much adopted means that store manager and store associates have to uh, be reasonable with themselves, keep track of inventory uh, within the store and make sure that they follow the certain protocol like you suggested, always go to the uh, you know bin location or a warehouse before you start picking from the shelves. Uh, otherwise you know from the display locations, otherwise we'll start you know deteriorating our store experience, which is not good. Uh, now, with that said, um, uh, one other question that comes up is like, is, uh, is like, what you think is the, uh, you know, good uh, KPI, I mean, like, you know, service SLA, I would say in my terms, but like, you know, how fast the store should attend to a BOPIS order and get it ready uh, for the customer? Well, I've seen... Um... I've seen so many different experiences, uh, especially since uh, the first lockdown of COVID over a year ago, um, and smaller retailers, and not even small retailers, but uh, you know, big brands who, let's say, have franchise locations, uh, and the cons- inconsistency from store to store has been horrendous. Uh, there are some retailers that are taking two or three days to fill an order uh, for curbside pickup. There were some stores that were doing it in a matter of hours. Um, I think one of the challenges is to, again, understand your business and your store flow uh, when your store is going to be busy is when the BOPUS is going to be busy. Um, I would uh, obviously want to be in a situation where you can uh, under promise and over deliver a little bit and and having the software built in that sends the confirmation email when the order is picked uh, is is great. Uh, because that way it's a surprise to the customer. Uh, I don't think that I would be an advocate of saying that, you know, the order will be ready in an hour uh, because it might not be for whatever reason. There could be a snowstorm like we've had in Toronto yesterday. There could be a staff shortage or something like that. Uh, So, uh, but you want to also be competitive and fit in uh, with what the other retail retail, uh, businesses are doing. So I think it's reasonable to say, uh, you know, as, as an overall expectation that a BOPIS order could be ordered online and picked up in store within three or four hours. Uh, and because usually 80 or 90 percent of the customers who are placing those orders are, are placing it from home before they go to work and they're going to pick it up at lunchtime or they're placing it from work. Uh, perhaps they're already on their lunch or their coffee break and they want to pick it up after work. Um, and so, uh, building, you know, building your, your rotation, if you will, around that and your schedule around that, 
is is going to be great. And if it turns out not to be quite as busy as you think, and there's nothing extraordinary happening because there's no big promotion or it's not you know the seasonal part of the business, then if you pick the order faster, then great. You send the confirmation email, customer's happy, uh, but there's no expectation that it's going to be fast. A lot of times, um, with the greatest of respect to customers, is that they're, they're accustomed to, to ordering online now for Starbucks or a restaurant uh, and, and having it delivered or picked up within a half an hour. Well, you can't go online, let's say, to a retail store and order 10 different complicated items that require someone to pick and be able to pick that up in a half an hour because there's other orders ahead of that. There's uh, perhaps complexity with the system in locating the product. So it's safe to say that you know three or four hours gives you a little bit of a window. Um, and sometimes there's even, uh, you know, one of the retailers I worked with recently, uh, the delay from having the time the order was placed to the time it actually arrived at the store uh, was up to 30 minutes. So, uh, and, you know, in that sense, uh, the order was already a half an hour old by the time we got it. And so you really had to be careful in what you were promising. Uh, I think there's a great opportunity perhaps for some retailers to offer a premium service. Uh, and that's something that the customer might be willing to pay extra for, depending on the type of business. Uh, let's say it's edu educational products for a classroom or something like that. Uh, if you want to pay more money and have it picked within 30 minutes, sure. But, uh, but normally, I think three or four hours is a good window because that allows for the majority, probably 90% of your customers, uh, to order it in the morning, pick it up in the afternoon, or order it in the afternoon and pick it up in the evening if they live in the suburbs. Uh, and that's all I think most customers are looking for. If they want something more, I think they could certainly call the store and make a special arrangement. But uh, safe to say, I think uh, setting up a standard that everyone understands is probably the best thing to do. Yeah, this is awesome. In fact, you know, I like your uh, idea that we should try to do like two to three hours. Uh, if we can do it in uh, less time, like in an hour, that's great. But two to three hours is a reasonable uh, and it aligns well with uh, the daily routine of your customers. So makes total sense. Uh, also, like you said, you know, if just our systems are taking like 30 minutes to uh, route the order to the store for uh, for fulfillment. Uh, I think that that's like a lost 30 minutes out of those two hour or three hour window. And um, definitely you know, in today's day and age where we have cloud technologies that have advanced and real time inventory tracking is possible. Um, uh, with the distributor order management uh, technology that we have, we can keep track of inventory across all the locations and also order routing is pretty smooth in real time. So uh, the moment the order is placed, uh, the order can be immediately routed within minutes, if not uh, no more. Within a few minutes, it can be routed to the store, which mm -hmm. means that you, know, you have those bonus 30 minutes uh, uh, to process the order. Uh, so that the associates can take their own time and, and, and get the order ready if they can in an hour, but if not, then at least deliver on promise to, to get the order ready in like two or three hours time frame uh, and make sure that customers are getting um, the orders are ready and customers don't, are not frustrated because of you know, delays at uh, different levels. So mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And, you know, I like the recommendation. In fact, you know, most of the conversation that we had today, uh, 
almost every every for every topic that I raised, you had such a f fantastic you know set of recommendations. I'm super excited that uh, we got really good content uh, uh, for our audience today. Um, before we wrap up uh, today's con uh, conversation, I want to ask you this question. Uh, do you want to give us a list of top three tips uh, or the advice that uh, for our retailers uh, who are implementing BOPIS uh, in you know, this year? I, th I think I, I would focus, first of all, on, on developing BOPIS as a real integral part of your store, of your business. Um, and I've certainly seen a lot here in Canada where, where especially small businesses were adapting to uh, some form of BOPIS uh, and forced to do that during the COVID lockdowns. And so uh, it hasn't been, it hasn't been um, revisited yet. It may still exist, uh, but it's certainly not a priority in anyone's eyes or minds. And it, in other words, it hasn't got better. And so I think um, it's something that really needs to get better. And if I could tail on one thing that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview uh, was really understanding who those customers are. Uh, let's understand that if we don't improve BOPIS, then really who we are hurting uh, over time is some of our regular uh, dearest customers. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's a service that they want to take part in once in a while even, uh, or maybe, you know, one out of every four visits to the store will be a BOPIS visit. Uh, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. So we need to embrace it and figure it out. Uh, I also think, and again, we're covering such an umbrella of retail here that um, you know some stores are not going to be able to afford to have designated staff for BOPIS, and that's completely fine. But certainly at the time of year when it's the busiest, uh, again, when the store is busy, the BOPIS is busy. Uh, and the last uh, company I worked for, uh, I made a point of having a, a BOPIS person scheduled uh, a little bit before we opened because you know your ability to pick orders when the store is open slows down dramatically because you're also dealing with live customers uh, but um, but but again you can accomplish a, a lot in that first hour before you open uh, and also during the day this was the best this was the best sales associate to do things like answer the phone you know and, and most retailers it's going to be the regular sales associate on the sales floor who's answering the telephone uh, for those types of basic inquiries well, imagine during the day, if you've got a designated BOPIS person who's also answering the phone, their knowledge of what's in stock and their knowledge of, of current inventory and location and so on is going to be fantastic. Uh, so, you know, again, having having a program in place, at least seasonally, that a, a BOPIS person is designated on the schedule, not necessarily something I would leave to an unexperienced associate at all. In fact, I, I would consider it an honor uh, to, to take on this position, especially during the busy time, because it's gonna earn so much trust. Uh, and then the third thing, which is something to be honest, I'm still working on, is finding a way uh, to, to sell and attach to these BOPIS customers when they arrive in the store. Uh, not, not to impede the whole point. I mean, usually people are ordering online and picking up in store because they're in a rush. They don't have time to stand in line today. Uh, they've, they've got other plans and they just want to pick up that one item today. And that's great. That's not always the case. So sometimes, you know, a customer's picking up their BOPIS order after work. Uh, they wanted to make sure they secured it because it was a, a gift or it was a present for someone. So there we are. Uh, oftentimes when you walk into a retail store, you find the BOPIS counter is somewhere isolated. Uh, certain cases it's at the back of the store, which defeats the whole purpose. 
sometimes it's at the front of the store which is great but there's there's nobody there there's just not care and attention uh, and and what I'm working on right now is to try to find a way to at least have logical sensible accessories nearby and that may not look great from a merchandising perspective but that would make sense uh, you know if you're buying a toy for your child and the toy requires batteries uh, but you didn't order that when you placed the bocas order now you're arriving in the store at 5:30 at night you've just spent the last hour in traffic and you're arriving at the store to pick up the toy and then you take it home for the birthday for the child and there's no batteries so how do we fix that you know sometimes it can be as simple as having a battery rack near the bopus counter or something like that uh, and it, obviously we can't put every accessory with every product but certainly the ones that make the most sense and i think to sum all of this up anil will be the learning of bopus customers and even ship from store customers really comes from the customers we already have they're not that different um, i had the the fort good fortune 20 years ago of, of one of the first companies i worked for uh, started an e-com website and we were filling filling this from our store and my first surprise was that all the addresses that i were shipping to uh, were local these weren't customers that were far away that lived in northern ontario or you know uh, where we did not have a store these were customers that could have probably commuted to our store with no problem but they chose to order online because they were in the mood to do that so from the very beginning i had an eye-opening experience to um, embrace this knowing that these are probably already my customers who are choosing to shop two ways now when this when the store is closed they have a way to shop the store anyway and and i think that's that's the great part of this so those would be my three recommendations is really understand your customer uh, try to figure out a way to do some sensible attachments and add-ons add-ons to this uh, and then build a routine and schedule even if it's seasonal um, that uh, covers uh, the ability to pick these orders when it's not busy. Awesome. These are the really, really good three tips that you've given. I'm sure this is going to, uh, the episode that we are having recording with you today, Fred, is, is going to be one of the most popular episodes we will have on our season, this season, Great. season two of our podcast, uh, particularly for the BOPIS I'm going to highly recommend everyone to listen to this podcast episode and give us their feedback. I'm sure, you know, if they raise questions on LinkedIn, you'd be happy to answer. Absolutely. Now, uh, we, our audience definitely will uh, link, you know, go back and find you, will connect with you and will like to have a conversation with you. I connected with you on LinkedIn what do you what are what are your preferred uh you know channels for communication with the audience out there i would say uh first choice would be linkedin second choice would be my email which is also posted on the site as well awesome great thank you very much so let's wrap up and i'm really excited for what we have our audience today thanks thank you thank you very much for the opportunity and i'll take care thanks That's it for this episode of the Customer-Centric Retailing Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please rate and review and recommend to a friend or a fellow retail fanatic. This podcast is presented by Hartwex Commerce.